wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. Sing it out. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous! How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful, is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the age is to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. And now let's turn to 360. 360. Look and live. message from the Lord, hallelujah, the message unto you I'll give, tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live, look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live, tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. I'm a message full of love, hallelujah, a message, oh, my friend, for you. Tis a message from above, hallelujah, Jesus said it and I know tis true. Look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. Life is offered unto you, hallelujah, eternal life thy soul shall have. If you'll only look to him, hallelujah, look to Jesus who alone can save. Look and live, my brother, live, look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah, it is only that you look and live. I will tell you how I came, hallelujah, to Jesus when he made me whole. T'was believing on his name, hallelujah, 
I trusted and he saved my soul. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. Just recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us and each one that is assembled here this morning. Lord, we come to you as needy people, asking you to look upon us this morning and do what only you can do in the hearts and lives of each one of us here. We pray that not one would withhold from you their surrender and their humility and their worship and their obedience to your word. We ask that you would be lifted up in all that is said and done in these services today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now let's turn to page 175, 175. There is a fountain. 175. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunge beneath that flood Whose all their guilty stains Whose all their guilty stains Whose all their guilty stains And sinners plunge beneath that flood Whose all their guilty stains The dying thief rejoiced to see Fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away, wash all my sins away, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no more, be saved to sin no more, be saved to sin no more till all the ransom church of God. Be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds of Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Sing it out as our last verse. Shall be till I die and shall be till I die. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. Amen. And now let's turn to page 309. Page 309, one more song, beautiful song, Fill All My Vision. 309. Fill all my vision, Savior, I pray. Let me see only Jesus. 
Jesus today. When through the valley thou leadest me, give me thy glory and beauty to see. Fill all my vision, Savior divine, till with thy glory my spirit shall shine. My vision that all may see, thy holy image reflected in me. Fill all my vision, every desire. Keep for thy glory, my soul inspire. With thy perfection, thy holy love, flooding my pathway with light from above. Fill all my vision, Savior divine, till with thy glory my spirit shall shine. Fill all my vision that all may see Thy holy image reflected in me. Now this time we'll have all the children 11 and under dismissed to the junior church. Let's sing that last verse. Fill all my vision, let naught of sin Shadow the brightness shining within Let me see only thy blessed face, feasting my soul on thine infinite grace. Fill all my vision, Savior divine, till with thy glory my spirit shall shine. Fill all my vision, that all may see thy holy Amen, and you may be seated.
Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Revelation. We're going to start in chapter 1, and we're continuing along the same theme, and uh, probably we'll try to finish this next Sunday morning. Two weeks ago, we preached on the hands of Jesus. Last Sunday was the feet of Jesus. Today, I'd like to preach about his eyes, amen, and uh what we're going to do is the only description we have really of Jesus' eyes and his main appearance is, is here in Revelation chapter 2. And there's another one in the book of uh, Daniel that is very, very similar. So we'll just read in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 13. It says, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. We read this description, and John just puts one little sentence in here. He says, his eyes were as a flame of fire. And, of course, we're having the description here of the glorified Christ. This was Jesus after his time here on earth. This is what we will see one day when we are with him in heaven. And there's an awful lot you can tell about a person just by looking at their eyes. Amen? You ever met anybody that doesn't want to look you in the eyes? They're always down looking and, well, you know, uh, I got this, this, and uh, it's like one of those, uh, what is it, uh, Western Union money commercials. My x-ray glasses burned a hole in all my money and I need you to send me more or something like that. Uh, you can tell when somebody doesn't want to maintain eye contact there's probably something wrong somewhere. It's normal to be able to look at someone and, and have them look back at you. Amen? The police officers say they can take one look into your eyes and in just a moment they can tell whether you've ever done drugs or alcohol. Now, I don't know how they do that, but they say they can or at least they can know whether you were on drugs or alcohol at the time, maybe is what the statement was. But there's a lot you can tell about a person simply by their eyes. How many of you have ever looked at someone and saw fire in their eyes looking at you? You ever had that happen? Uh, oftentimes a little child... Uh, I don't have the opportunity often to sit beside my children in the services because 
that wouldn't be very good to sit all my children in a row up here behind the pulpit. You'd be watching them and wouldn't be listening to anything going on. But uh, we've, we've learned to communicate sometimes with just a glance. And uh, we can, uh, they can know exactly what is going on. Most parents can do that. Amen? And uh, they know. They get that look. I am dead meat. And uh, that's not all so bad. But what I'd like for us to do this morning is think about the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, we'll be able to see him. If you're saved, you'll be able to return that gaze because it will be the look of love of a Savior who has given all for us. And what I want us to do is just we can't cover every passage in the New Testament that talks about the things that Jesus looked about, people's reaction to his, his look upon them. But I want you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And this is uh, uh, just a, a story here. We call the man in this story the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus. The Bible says that he came running and fell down in the street and he worshiped Jesus. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him the standard answer he was expecting. Keep the Ten Commandments. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever kept the Ten Commandments? Now, do you know what the job of the Ten Commandments are? The job of the Ten Commandments are to show you your sinfulness so that you will go to Christ who paid for all your sins. Amen? That's the job of the Ten Commandments. It's a no wonder people don't want them posted around. Amen? Uh, but the man in his heart knew. He said, what do I lack yet? Jesus said, sell everything you have and follow me. We get down to verse 23 of uh, Mark chapter 10. Just a second there. Mark chapter 10. And Jesus looked about... And saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Let's skip down to verse 27. And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Now I want you to get the picture here in your mind if you can take a few moments with me. This man has come. Jesus has given him the answer. And he's walking away with his head bowed low. He is shaking his head. He's trying to figure out why it costs so much to inherit eternal life. He's not going to give up his riches to follow Jesus. 
And as he's walking away, Jesus then looks on everybody that is around him, his disciples and the crowd that is there, and he makes the statement of how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. This man's walking away. He's hearing Jesus talk about him in a very, very negative way. He is saying, listen, this guy is not going to make it to heaven. And he keeps walking. Jesus looks around. He's, he's wanting to get everybody's attention so that they will hear what he is saying. And then in verse 26, the disciples say, who then can be saved? If, if the rich aren't saved, if the rich aren't blessed of God, you see, they had this idea that people who were rich had God's blessings. Now, the Bible is very clear. Rich, poor, free, in bondage, God doesn't care about those things. God's blessings are in spite of all of those circumstances we find in life. Amen? And Jesus was looking through the veneer. I mean, this man had everything that life had to offer. On the outside, he was a ruler. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. We don't know. He may have actually been one of those people that sat in condemnation of Jesus just a few years after this story happened. We don't know. He had it all. But Jesus looked right through him to his heart. And he said, you love your riches more than you do me. And if you love your riches more than you do God, you cannot be saved. In fact, it doesn't even have to be riches, does it? It can be anything. Uh, one of the devotions in the Baptist bread in the last few weeks was uh, uh, about cheap idols. Does anybody remember reading that one? Idols are cheap. You can get just about anything. And if you will venerate it more than God, it's an, it's an idol. There are people who worship their cars. You ever seen them? Uh, there are people who worship their golf bag. That, that little white ball. I, I don't understand that. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. This man was holding on to his riches. The disciples asked the question, who then can be saved? Now, I'm glad that Jesus saw more than just this one man walking away, holding on to his checkbook and refusing to turn loose of what he had that he might find salvation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. It says, And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible. With men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. I believe 
the man was still close enough to hear this statement as well. Amen. God said, it's possible for you to turn around and come back. But we never have any record of him willing to do that. Jesus was willing to look at man and expose and help us understand that he must be number one in our lives. Amen? That he must have. The word, the biblical word is the preeminence. He is the one that is above and beyond all. If you have something in your life you're holding on to today, I, I beg of you, in the name of our Savior, I beg you, would you turn loose of it that you might have Jesus? Jesus looked through. He realized there's going to be false worship. Look at, look at Mark chapter 3, if you would. Mark chapter 3 and verse 5. Jesus was in the synagogue, in a place of teaching. And in Mark chapter 3, It says in he, verse 1, it says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith to the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Could you imagine having that look at you? As Jesus was in this synagogue, and this man came in having a withered hand, having a shriveled arm. We don't know whether he'd had a stroke or, or, or some trauma happened, but he could not move one of his arms. And the Pharisees in this begin whispering, it's a Sabbath. If he heals on the Sabbath, he's doing a work. We can accuse him. Jesus already knew what was on their hearts. it says that he looked round about on them with anger. It says being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. Do we not live in a day of hard hearts? Of lives made hard by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Lest your hearts be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And as Jesus looked upon them, He wanted them to understand that God was here to do good. Amen? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't forget about the man with the withered hand? 
he took time to heal him. And immediately these Pharisees went out of the synagogue and they began trying to figure out how they could get and destroy Jesus Christ. You know, if you want an excuse to turn your back on Jesus and reject Him, Jesus will see that you get that excuse. That's what He did right here in this story. But if you can look past yourself and understand that there is a God of love, you'll see Jesus' love the whole way through. It's it's amazing how Jesus was able to do this. I believe he's the only one that can, is with one set of actions, with one set of words, he takes those who want to come to him and draws them closer. And those who do not want them, he pushes them away all at the same time. It's absolutely amazing what our Savior did. Could you imagine being in the synagogue and watching him look on those other people with anger? I mean, that would, I mean, it would have put fear in our hearts. I mean, we'd have been sitting there trembling just at the thought of it. And yet, he took time to heal that man. And it pushed those other men... I mean, they were so mad, they just didn't... They were mad, actually. They had gotten so angry, they became mad. Amen? That's a pretty good way of putting it. They had lost their senses. The only thing... It was the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day? What did he just ask him? Is it, is it right to do evil on the Sabbath day? What were they doing? They were taking counsel to destroy him. He says, is it... Right to give life, which he just gave to that man's arm, or to kill, which is what they were planning to do. The, the, the description, the disparity here could not be greater. Jesus saw it all, amen. But I love this next one. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, if you would. Matthew chapter 9. You see, Jesus saw the truth about man's desire to love and to serve God. You know, I, I've met very few people, very few people who want to serve the devil. Most people out there believe they are serving God. These Pharisees were in the synagogue. They thought they were serving God. This rich young ruler had spent his whole life trying to keep the Ten Commandments. He thought he was serving God until he met the gaze of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus saw the multitudes. He saw that most of them did not have the truth. 
They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we hear that phrase and we say, oh, sheep need a shepherd, but we live in a land of fences. We live in a land where you just do not allow your livestock to wander all over everybody else's property. Now, in the land of Israel, it was completely different. There were huge tracts of land that no one owned. There were no fences. The only place where people took time to put up fences were for specific things like the sheepfolds where they kept the sheep at night. It was the shepherd's duty during the day to take the sheep out of the plains, out of the valleys, and lead them up to the higher pasture lands in the mountains many times where they would find the cool waters and the things that the sheep needed. Not everyone could feed their sheep down in the valley. I mean, the grass would be overeaten and, and, and there would be nothing there. There weren't enough. So the shepherd literally had to lead his sheep if he was going to sustain them and keep them. Uh, sheep are exceedingly... Uh, Mentally feeble animals? Is that a nice way of saying dumb? Uh, I mean, they just, they couldn't find things on their own. A sheep will walk right off the end of a cliff to its own death. Now, there's an awful lot there. Jesus calls us sheep, amen. Human beings do the dumbest things, don't we? Jesus looked out on the multitudes said, they're just like sheep that don't have a shepherd. They don't know where to go. They don't know where the truth is. They don't have the answers that they need. He says, but I want to be their shepherd. I want to take care of them. It says he had compassion on them. And that compassion went and he told his disciples, Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth his laborers into the harvest. Now, is God not willing to send forth people into his harvest field? That's, that's ludicrous. So why was he asking the disciples to pray that God would send forth laborers into his harvest? My favorite way of putting it is this. Prayer does not change God. God doesn't need to be changed. But prayer changes us so that God can do with us what he wanted to do in the first place. As they were praying for God to send the laborers into the harvest, guess who those first laborers were, amen? Amen. They were the very disciples he was talking to right here. They could not see all of these things. They could not understand. In fact, if Jesus had stopped and told Peter right here, Peter, you're going to preach a sermon in the temple and 5,000 men are going to get saved on one day. You know what Peter would have said? Man, I'm a pretty great preacher, ain't I? Wow. It took some things to prepare Peter to be able to preach and to be used of God. 
Jesus saw all those things. He sees man's need, amen? And he asked us to pray because he wants to use you and I in his service. Let's turn to Mark chapter 5 and verse 32. I'm glad Jesus seen, has seen the multitude. But I also praise God that he is looking for the individual. In Matthew chapter 5, the story is that of a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He has come and he has pled for his daughter's life. And Jesus is following him to his house. And we start in verse 25. It says, In a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard that Jesus came in the press behind, I'm sorry, when she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he, looking round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Jesus was looking in the multitude. I mean, everybody was there, and there were thousands of people, and many of them were just reaching out and trying to touch him. It says they thronged him. They were pushing against each other in the crowd. And this one woman came up and touched his garment. You see, she was different than the multitudes. She had faith. Amen. Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. He wanted us to make sure that there would not be any attention drawn to anything else other than faith. You know, there's a... Uh, a church somewhere in Italy, and, and they claim to have the burial shroud of Jesus Christ, and they claim that this thing has done miracles and all of this. And All you have to do is read your Bible. Jesus said, there's nothing in my clothes. Thy faith hath saved thee. Jesus was looking around. In fact, the disciples said, Lord, 
don't, uh, they, they didn't say quite this bluntly, but they were saying, Lord, don't be silly. Look at all the people that are here. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean one person? But you see, Jesus was looking for that one person because he wanted to put that one person's faith on display. And by the way, as far as human beings are concerned, Jesus was late to Jairus' house because his daughter had already died. But Jesus knew that as well, amen? And was more than capable of handling the situation of bringing back that little girl from the dead. Jesus always takes the time to look for the individual. I've had people over the years say, well, Pastor, I, I know I need to get saved, but uh, I'm in that whole church full of people who are saved and I'm embarrassed. Hey, let me tell you something. The Savior's looking for one today. He's not looking at the... He's looking at the whole multitudes. He is, but He is looking for that one who's willing to put their faith on display, who's willing to give it all to the Lord Jesus Christ and simply trust in Him because He is the answer, the only answer. Don't worry about the question. Get the answer, amen? Turn to Luke chapter 21 with me. Jesus' eyes were open to the things that people do. He wanted to see the woman that had done this thing. In Luke chapter 21, this was Passover week. This was just before the Passover, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Verse 1 says, And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Now, the temple that was in Jerusalem that Jesus sat in it no longer exists. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. But those who, who tell us that what they knew about the temple was in a few moments at the end of our service, we're going to collect an offering. Uh, we have some baskets here, and we pass them around, and, and uh, there's actually felt in the bottom so that it doesn't make a lot of noise and, and those things. That's not the way it was in Jesus' day. Currency, money in Jesus' day, was usually some type of precious metal, whether it was uh, a brass or copper penny, all the way up to gold coins, which were the most valuable, and they tell us that they had a, a masonry wall that enclosed the treasury, and out of the wall there came a, a funnel like a trumpet bell. And those things were made out of gold, and of course there was a lot of, of, of uh, stone and brickwork around it. And if you've ever uh, uh, musical instruments and stuff, you gold is an incredible uh, vibrator or transfer of sound. And uh, so 
as people would come up and they would throw those coins down into that funnel, you could imagine the cacophony of sound that would fill and echo off those stone walls in the temple. And so as Jesus, it says, he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. I mean, it sounded like Atlantic City when the slot machines went. Uh, there was coins flying everywhere, noise, and of course it was all going down the funnel behind the stone wall where nobody else could get it. But then came the poor widow. Chink, chink. I mean, the mites weren't even good metal. They weren't even made out of copper. It was just whatever they happened to have. And they were small. And they were worthless. And you could imagine the hush as people began to, who did that? must have been a little kid and they turned around and there was a woman and uh, I'll tell you what there were, there were people that were embarrassed for her she didn't have to do that that's oh I, I you know this is Passover week it's it's a time of great celebration why why did she have to come in here I mean that offering it, uh, she should have just kept it. The temple doesn't need her two mites. But you see, Jesus saw something else. Amen. Let's read what Jesus saw. In verse 3, it says, And of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. He said, She's given more than all them put together. For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. She had nothing but in an act of worship she gave to God everything she had. Men despised that gift. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed for her. Jesus was looking and said, in my record book, she's done more than all of them put together. Jesus' eyes are open to our worship and our heart Toward him, our faith in him. Jesus is not looking at the multitudes, though he does look at the multitudes when it comes to this thing called faith. It's judged on an individual basis. We say we have so little. And we're not talking about the offering here, we're talking about your life. Amen? We're talking about your heart relationship between you and God. 
she displayed her faith by giving it all. Jesus was watching and taking notes. She will be paraded in heaven. This is what it means when the Bible says, The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. She was last here on earth. She's going to be first in line in heaven. Not because she was poor. But because her faith demanded worship in a holy God. And that worship was giving her all. That's why she'll be first. Let's look at one more. Look at Luke chapter 19. I love the story of Zacchaeus. He was a publican, a chief among publicans. And he was rich, it tells us in verse 2. Verse 3, it says, and he sought to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. But Jesus saw him, amen. Skip down with me to verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now, you got to get the picture here. Zacchaeus was, uh, shall we just say, uh, vertically challenged. Uh, he, he, he was not a tall person. And he couldn't see because of the crowd. He was just looking at shoulders and other parts of people's body. He couldn't see over anybody. So he got this idea he was going to climb a tree and then he could see everything. Now, could you imagine the comptroller of the city of New York, which is basically what Zacchaeus was. I think his name is Thompson. Climbing a tree on Fifth Avenue to watch a parade go by. or Mayor Bloomberg, uh, climbing a tree so he could see everything that was happening. Now, the tax collectors, which Zacchaeus was, were scorned and hated by everyone because they collected the taxes for Rome and oppressed the Jewish people terribly, and Zacchaeus was a Jew. He had sold out, in essence, to the Romans. But Zacchaeus had something that Jesus was looking for that many of the people in the crowd that was walking with him did not have. He had a repentant heart. He had a heart that was willing to turn loose of everything so that he could have Jesus. First thing he said when he got down out of the tree is, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything, if I've stolen from people, which he had, he said, I'm going to pay him back four times, which is what the law said. He said, I am going to make my life as obedient to you as I possibly can. And what did Jesus say to those that murmured as he went to Zacchaeus' house and ate? It says, verse 9... Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man is come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. Aren't you glad there was one day when Jesus came looking for you? Maybe it was somebody just giving you a gospel tract. Or maybe it was after a church service, sitting down and taking the Bible and showing you how you could be saved. Maybe it was a visit in your home. There was somewhere, somehow, somebody found you with this book called the Bible. Told you what it said. And you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Aren't you glad Jesus came looking for you? Let me tell you, he's still looking today. He is looking for anyone who is willing to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. And if you'll come to him, he'll find you. Amen? He'll, if you'll surrender, he'll take care of the rest. Let's turn to John chapter 4. A story familiar to us. We call it the woman at the well. We do not know her name. She was a Samaritan. Jesus took time to tell her the truth of the gospel and she believed him. She went down to the town and uh, she lived in. She said, you, you all need to come out here and hear this man. And then while she was gone, bringing the people of the town out to Jesus, the disciples who had already been in the town buying food, had come back to Jesus at the well. And they said, here's something to eat. Verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye that there are four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Look at verse 30. Um, yes, I'm sorry. Verse 35 says, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Jesus was looking out at the fields around that well of Jacob there in the city of Shechem, or Sychar, I'm sorry. He wasn't looking at the crops in the fields. He was looking at the Samaritans coming out of the city and coming to the well. And he tried to get his disciples to see what he was seeing. He said the fields are white already unto harvest. He said the harvest is past. We, the, the best time is, is passing us. We need to get out there and reap that harvest. Jesus sees the need of human souls. Amen. And he wants us to see the need of human souls. And he wants us to go into the fields and tell people of their need of a Savior. One more verse and we'll be done. Let's turn to Mark chapter 3 and verse 34. 
a strange little incident here. Jesus was teaching. His mother and his brethren came and they, they said, your mother and your brothers outside, they, your brothers, they, they want you to talk to them. In verse 34, it says, And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever will do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. We've been going through the book of Hebrews on Thursday nights. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus says, he, the writer of Hebrews says for Jesus that he is not ashamed to call them his brethren, those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, listen, you want to be a member of my family? You want to be identified with me? Will you just simply be obedient to my word? This is the reward. Jesus looked round about on who? Those that sat about him. Jesus was teaching the word of God and all these people were sitting. This house was jam-packed full. And Jesus said, listen, if you want to be identified with me and my family, if you want a special relationship with me, you take my words and simply obey it. And you will have that relationship. The same as my earthly mother and brothers do. You will be that close to me. You will be a part of my family. The Bible tells us that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus is looking at us today. He wants us to hear the Word of God. What I tried to do in this time this morning is just talk about the things that Jesus looked at. These were the things that were important to him. He looked through the veneers of false religion. He condemned the hardness of men's hearts. He saw the multitudes wandering with no direction and no understanding. Yet, when the woman with the issue of blood was willing to touch the hem of his garment, he stopped and he said, I saw that faith and I'm going to put it on display and it's recorded in our Bible today. Amen. When that widow who had absolutely nothing dared to walk into the temple where the great sounds of the offerings were echoing off the temple wall and dropping in her two mites and having people laugh and make fun and mock her and be embarrassed at her. Jesus said, I was watching. And in my record book, she gave more because she gave it all. Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus, a man hated and despised by his peers. 
but who is willing to put his faith in Jesus. Jesus found him, amen. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. Isn't it wonderful how the Bible does these things? Jesus said, if you want to see the things I see, he said, I just want you to look around. He said, the fields are white unto the harvest. I praise the Lord for what our church is doing for missions this year. We are doing more this year than we've ever done in any previous year of our church's history. It's something to praise the Lord about. That means some people here are seeing the things that Jesus is seeing. And we're able to help more missionaries than we ever have. But the best part of this whole thing is we're going to get to heaven one day. Because you put your faith and trust in him. Jesus is going to identify you and I as members of his own family if you're saved. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. The time of invitation. I want to ask you, are you here today looking for Jesus? Are you unsaved, not sure about your salvation? Would you be willing to just lift a hand and say, pray for me, preacher? Now, lifting a hand doesn't get you saved. My prayer won't save you. You must put your own faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But would there be one this morning in this moment of silence say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm searching for the Savior. I, I want to be saved. I'm just not sure about it. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip a hand up and back down just quickly? Right up and right back down. Would there be one here today that said, I came in this morning and I'm not sure I was, was seeing things the way that Jesus sees things. And there's some things in my life that just aren't the way they ought to be. And preacher, would you pray for me that I would see the things that Jesus wants me to see and understand and and have my life match what he would have it to be. Would you just lift a hand and say, pray for me, preacher. All over the auditorium, and anyone else, just before we go to prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we're thankful that you see us right here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church in Astoria. Lord, you know each individual. You know the numbers of hairs that are upon our heads. Lord, I just pray that you would do your work during this time of invitation. That we would realize the little labor and the little gifts that we give to you so insignificant by the world standards are such a blessing in your eyes when we give for the right method in the right way, when we give of our time and of ourselves and who we are. Lord, we're thankful that you are looking for faith. 
And when we simply trust you as your Savior, you save us forever. Lord, we're thankful that you want to identify with us as members of your own family. We ask that you would do your work during the time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. The song of invitation this morning is one that we use often. Only trust him. And if you need to come and spend some time at an old-fashioned altar, we'd encourage you to do that today. As we sing, will you come? Come, every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. For Jesus shed His precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now. Or just have the piano continue to play. We want to give time for those that are here praying. Which means if you want to come, there's still time for you. Just the course, if no one comes. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. And uh, we are working on printing up the schedule for next month. And uh, Thursday night we tried to uh, get volunteers to do cleaning and different things while we're gone. So if you uh, would still like to get in on that, see me after the service. And we'll try to have those schedules all printed out uh, for tonight. Uh, the street fair is on Broadway. It starts at, supposed to start at 37th Street, but I'm not sure uh, that it actually starts there. Um, but our booth is actually on the corner of 44th Street and Broadway is where they moved us. And uh, if you would like to stop by and uh, pass out some tracks or just sit and watch what happens, enjoy the street fair... Uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Thursday night, we'll be having a special uh, guest with us. Uh, some of you may remember this is uh, 
back several years, uh, I believe uh, 2003, we had a group come from Heartland Baptist Bible College and, and we did like a um, uh, summer uh, campaign, a revival meeting in the summer with them. Brother Copes preached to us and different things. And um, uh, one of the members of that group was a young man named Adam McGeorge. And uh, we all knew him as Mudge. And uh, that was his nickname. He's a native Australian. God has called him to Nehru. Does anybody know where Nehru is? Uh, well, that'll be your assignment before Thursday, is to find an uh, atlas somewhere and see if you can find Nehru. It is a nation. Uh, it's a very small one. Only God could call you to Nehru, I guess. Uh, everybody else would accuse you of wanting to go on a vacation for the rest of your life. But uh, Brother McGeorge is, is going there. He's going to have his wife and brand new little baby with him. They'll be here Thursday night. It will be a very uh, special time. And so we want to encourage you to uh, be there. The work is progressing in the building. Uh, we're getting some ceilings up and some lights up and... Uh, Pray for Brother Monette and his crew. Uh, he and another man are coming down from Montreal tomorrow. And uh, they're going to be trying to, uh, if you look down the stairs, you just see all these bare pieces of sheetrock and screws sticking out. Well, that's what the wall looks like before the taper gets a hold of it. And uh, Brother Monette is our taper. And uh, he's going to tape that whole wall and cover up all my mistakes and all the mess we made putting it up. And uh, when he's done, you'll say, how in the world did he get that wall to look so nice? But you pray for their traveling and their work this week. Uh, we're trying to finish up all the major parts of the renovation, and uh, we're moving uh, along that direction. So keep it in prayer. And uh, let's have our ushers come at this time. Read the missionary letters in the uh, bulletin, if you would. And we'll receive this morning's offering. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this sunny, wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for each one that is present today. We thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Continues to bless us uh, to hold fast unto your word, Lord, so that we can grow more in faith, that what we, how we live our lives will give glory unto you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that allow us to partake in this offering. 
may you accept it and bless it and use it to do your will. And Lord, we continue to ask for your protection as we leave this church. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. 705 as we're dismissed. 705.